Welcome to the Life in the Red podcast presented by the Lincoln Journal Star, your source for Husker news, analysis, and more. From football in the fall to recruiting in the summer, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Bassnett, Parker Gabriel, and Stephen M. Sippel. Three, two, one. Welcome in, Life in the Red podcast. Um, Parker, that's Sippel. Chris Basnett today is doing what dads, parents with young kids do, just trying to survive the day, I think. Uh, he may pop in and join us later on. Uh, he may not. Uh, but Sipple and I are at the helm today. We've got con- full control of the podcast, which is maybe a good thing, maybe not. Um, it's a bye week, obviously. So Sipple, we're going to talk through... Well, a bunch of football stuff. We heard from Scott. We're, we're recording this on Thursday, day later than our normal slot for uh, the are, week yeah. during the football season. So we're going to talk through what we heard from Scott Frost yesterday. Only uh, interview setting for the week for Nebraska. Um, and then we'll, yeah, we'll get into a bunch of stuff that sort of branches off that. We'll talk a little bit about Big Ten West at the end. But for now, simple. I mean, just... Nebraska's in sort of a weird spot here going into the first of two bye weeks coming up. They're three and five. They've lost two straight games. They've lost four of their last five overall. Um, not obviously where they hope to be. Not, I don't, I don't think it's where a lot of people necessarily expected them to be record-wise at this point in the season. Not really. Um, you know, it's it's just been a very interesting season, kind of confounding, kind of predictable in some ways. Um, they played those, those tough teams close, which makes it, which makes the, which makes it confounding. Right. Right. They played Michigan, they played Oklahoma close. That was the game where I think we all kind of felt, okay, Nebraska's pretty good. You know, I mean, they must Mm -hmm. be pretty good. It was the end of the first quarter. I always say at the end of the first quarter, when it hit me really hard, like, yeah, they belong on the same field with Oklahoma and probably should win this game. Um, Michigan State, we all know what happened. And Michigan was just a, a slugfest. Um, and, you know, then you just – you didn't really know what would happen at Minnesota. Um, but what happened was very deflating, I think, to the fan base. Wasn't it – you know, they didn't get – they didn't get jackhammered. They didn't get taken to the woodshed. Kind of, kind of in the first half they did. But – and then here we sit with four tough – four tough games remaining for Nebraska. Yeah. So, so we'll get into that and what the, you know, what coming out of the bye week looks like. And, and some of that sort of, I think that was a good word, simple confounding. We'll get into a little bit of that, but let's start. Scott Frost talked yesterday. We talked to him for about 15 minutes. Um, Nebraska practice Tuesday and Wednesday this week, and then they're off the rest of the week. And that's, that's mostly because they played week zero so they started camp a week earlier than everybody else, but you don't actually get more practice days to use just because you start a week early. You can just start earlier. So they've got some off days to spread out over the course of this bye week and the second one, which is in mid-November. Um, so it's a light week just from a physical standpoint, really light week from a, from a physical standpoint for Nebraska. And as part of that, Nebraska's coaching staff is going to be out on the road doing a lot of recruiting Tony Tuioti today, along with, I think, Ryan Held at least. Uh, down in Kansas, seeing some junior college players. Um, Tuioti was at Independence Junior College earlier today. Um, so it's the first time in all, like pushing two years, um, well, since February of 2020, year and a half, um, that Nebraska's coaches have been out on the road in force recruiting. And it sort of sets up um, a really sort of interesting conversation that we had with Frost yesterday, Sipple, about what the recruiting class is going to look like and why. Maybe they're targeting more transfer portal players, junior college players for the 2022 cycle. Right. I mean, Frost, you knew this. I mean, you cover recruiting. And I think what Scott said wasn't a surprise to you. And it wasn't necessarily a surprise to people who follow recruiting. But to hear the head coach verbalize that they're going to indeed somewhat because of circumstance or a lot because of circumstance, going to focus on a transfer portal and junior college players and getting um, what he called immediate impact players. And when you're, you know, when you're looking in the portal and at Juco guys, that's what you're 
ultimately always are sort of looking for immediate impact. Um, You know, and and this occurs in the context of Nebraska in the midst of a season where the theme is they can't get over the hump. What Frost said, we have to get one more inch. He said that yesterday. And, and that's, you know, he kind of used that as, as a reason to do that. Now, you addressed in a story today a broad kind of a bigger picture reason why a lot of teams are doing this, right? A yeah. lot of teams are having, you can verbalize this, a lot of teams um, are having smaller classes in terms of high school numbers, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's because that's a, that's a direct um, sort of side effect or, <clears throat> or primary effect of the extra year of eligibility that the NCAA gave um, for COVID, there's just a lot, every team's veteran, uh, this year. And there's really not, there's a smaller number of guys who are 100% done with college football after this year. There's a ton of players in Nebraska and nationally who are going to have to decide, are they going to come back for what would be a sixth season or a fifth season? Are they going to try their hand at the NFL in that, in that, you know, circumstance or whatever. But I think the numbers make this relatively easy to understand. Nebraska has, I'm looking at our scholarship chart right now. Nebraska mm-hmm. has 49 players that are technically freshman eligible so far this year on scholarship out of 85, 49 freshmen. So that's first, second, and third year players in this regard because Ty Robinson is in his third year in the program, but he's technically a redshirt freshman eligibility wise because of the extra year. Um, on the flip side of that, there's only eight players, scholarship players that we know categorically this is their last year of college football. They are Samari Ture and Levi Falk, uh, Ben Stilley, Jojo Doman, Will Honus, the two safeties of Smook and Williams, and then Connor Culp. So like just the, ease, the, the starting point way to think about how big is your recruiting class going to be is how many seniors are you going to lose? Nebraska's only losing eight for sure. Now, they're only losing eight. They're all impact guys. They're all impact guys, right, yeah. So now, you know, there's going to be attrition, you know, that there's guys leave guys transfer. Okay. So, you know, on top of that, there are 17 juniors that includes Adrian Martinez, guys like Austin Allen, Travis Volkolek, Cam Taylor, Britt, they're going to have decisions uh, whether they come back for a sixth year or in Martinez's case, fifth year, but uh, they can come back. They might go to the NFL Austin Allen's had a really good year. He's got a big decision in front of him. Uh, Adrian Martinez has been starting here for four years. He's got a decision in front of him. A lot of guys do. So the uncertainty cast in that regard, like how many of those guys are going to stay, how many are going to go, that adds a pretty serious wrinkle. I mean, you can't just load up on 20 high school players and then a bunch of those guys decide to stay and suddenly you're over by 10. That just doesn't work that way. So Nebraska's approach is they're going to take 13 to 15 high school players. They're at eight right now. uh, And then fill in the rest from the transfer portal and the transfer market in general. And like you say, simple, this has two, this has two sort of uh, benefits. One is high school. The high school scene is essentially typically cleared out by December. Whereas a transfer portal, you can take guys all the way up until July of next year and they're immediately eligible. So you can sort of see where your numbers fall. You can recruit the heck out of some of those guys, Austin Allen, Cam Taylor Britt or whatever, you know, on whether they want to come back or not. And if they do great, and if they don't, you can fill that spot from the transfer market down the road. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good summation. And it'll so, so it's really, I mean, some of those guys, you really are going to watch closely during the off season to, to see what they decide, because I think there are, in some cases, tough decisions to be made. I, Cam Taylor Britt, I know the, the plan was for him to play as a junior and then, yeah. and then go to the NFL. Now, there's a chance he could come back now. If he thinks he could improve his draft stock next year, I, don't, I wouldn't rule out a guy like that coming back. Of course, the big conversation is Adrian Martinez. Right. Yeah. And that conversation leads to the offshoot conversation of do they go into the portal – to get a quarterback in case Adrian's not around. Could you get a meet? Could you get an immediate impact quarterback in the portal? 
you know. Yeah, or that's an incredible conversation if you think about it. Yeah, and there's three things. Okay, so after the season, there are ostensibly Adrian Martinez could do one of three things, right? He could come back, he could declare for the NFL draft, or he could decide to use his last year of eligibility. Technically, I guess he has one year of eligibility left. Um, he's got two years to use it if you were to get hurt or something, but, um, so he could stay NFL or he could transfer and decide to play his final year somewhere else. So two of those options, obviously NFL or transfer somewhere else would leave Nebraska in whenever that decision gets made, probably before January, um, deciding what, what are, what are we going to do at quarterback? So you never know. I mean, the quarterback, there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks with similar, if not identical decisions to make after the season. And like who's available. Frost said this yesterday, you never know who's going to be available in the portal. Um, and then you have to react fast when it happens. So that is, I mean, that's going to be when we hit uh, the day after black Friday, that that is going to be one of the biggest things to, to sort of sort out as the off season gets going, obviously. Um, okay. Simple. Let me put you on the spot. Let me put, put your GM hat on. Yeah, I love doing this. If you if, – okay, so we're talking about immediate impact. That's what Scott said yesterday, immediate impact. You have a good handle on the, who the eight seniors are, the six-year guys on defense in particular who are leaving. If you could draw up a shopping list of in, immediate impact players to add to Nebraska's roster for after this year, you're, you're out on the road recruiting right now looking for immediate impact guys – what positions would you like to identify? What would be your top two or three positions where you'd like to identify someone and say, you know what? Let's yeah. Sounds good to us. Well, I think I want just uh, let's go offense and defense. Okay. And let's, we can take quarterback out of the equation for now, obviously, because yeah. Adrian, you know, that it's either going to be a real need or it's not. And I would definitely have that in the back of my mind Yeah, as I'm, as I'm proceeding, if I'm Scott Frost, um, in fact, that's that's the one that really dominates my brain. But I, I think you could always use if you could get an offensive lineman, a, a experienced offensive lineman, out of the portal who's had starting experience, particularly at tackle, like a a, a very, I would say, if you could identify someone who's a pure tackle. And has and has played at a pretty high level at tackle. I would look seriously at that. That's not to. That's not to. Uh, I'm not criticizing Nebraska's current tackles, but you know, like a guy like Corcoran is. I think ultimately will be. You know, if he moves on to the next level, it'd be as a guard. I would try to get pure a pure tackle. Um, Always, I'd always, I mean, it's interesting at running back because they, they can return all five scholarship yeah. guys. Next yeah. year. I don't know that, I, and I like that group. So I don't know that I'd make that a high priority. I would look at receiver. I would look at someone kind of with, with in mind, replacing Teray. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, leading, he's, a, he's the team's leading receiver. He's gone next year. Right. I would look at it. I would look at trying to get someone as good or better than Teray, um, which you can do. You can go into the portal and do that. It's not, it's not, it's, there's, it's not easy, but I would, I'd be thinking in those terms. Um, a lot of this, you know, this discussion, the player that comes to mind first for me after Adrian is Austin Allen. And then I would yeah. say vocal. So I would, I, if there's a big, there's a proven tight end out there, a big body tight end. Um, I would definitely, like, I, I mean, I know Parker, I would shoot high. I mean, I would be thinking, Hey man, Austin Allen, how many catches does he have? Does he have 22 this year? He's having a big, he's got 20, 24, but he, I mean, he's, you know, he's got 343 yards so far this year. So he's making, I'm looking for a catches. guy. Yeah. That can catch 25 balls and for, you know, 350 yards. So those are where I'd start on offense. On defense, you know, you're always looking for pass rushers, but everybody is. I understand that. Um, I mean, JoJo's loss is will be big, but Parker, that's a hard position to go into yeah, the portal. Right. Because right. JoJo's unique. Right. Like if people what I would counsel people 
uh, as far as JoJo goes is don't expect another JoJo just coming out of the portal. Right. He's, he's There's not many guys like him. I mean, so those are, I mean, those are the thoughts I have, I guess. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Uh, one position you didn't mention that I, I wrote a little bit about yesterday is a secondary. I mean, you know, you're losing. Well, yeah, you did. Yeah. You, yeah. you did cover that. And they're going to have big losses there. They're going to have yeah. big losses. You know, you're losing the two senior safeties. You could lose Cam Taylor Britt too. Um, you know, two or three starters gone. Now they like some of the young guys coming up and the, you know, we're going to see a little bit of miles farmer probably here with Deontay Williams injury uh, over the course of the rest of the year. And he's played now some in, in obviously a rotation, but um, you know, they got some young talent. They like, they got some guys who have played some that they like, but I, I think they're, I mean, they've made a bunch of offers to junior college guys and, and, and transfer guys at defensive back. So that's definitely one of the areas, but one of the things I think in having this conversation simple that comes clear, comes through clearly is, you know, Scott said yesterday, you got to take the best available. You want guys that can make a difference, but there aren't very many spots on Nebraska's roster. I mean, they might need to find a kicker in the portal with Connor Culp being done after this year. Um, and even if he wasn't, they might be thinking that at this point. Um, almost no position on the roster is completely uh, – would you completely dismiss and say, nope, we don't need to do that. Nope, Nebraska doesn't need to look in the portal for that position. Right. Is, is running back the closest thing that comes to mind? It might be, but if there was a real difference maker, if there was a guy who you thought was a 1,200-yard back, you, are, are they really going to be like, eh, I think we're, we're good there? Maybe. maybe. Maybe depending on how oh, I think you try to take you try, that's why that's why a coach says best available to cover yeah. that. Yeah. Cover I, that. I, so, yeah. Or, I mean, I, you know, there's five scholarship guys in that room. If two of them decide, Hey, there's greener pastures elsewhere, you know, then the conversation changes too in that regard. So you can find guys. I mean, Nebraska is, it's been a little hit and miss with Nebraska get with transfers. Um, I mean, the one like the safety that comes to mind is Trey Neal. If, if there's a Trey Neal, Trey Neal was good for the program, um, I thought. <clears throat> His level of maturity and the way how quickly he picked up the defense, and he was productive in games. If you could find like a Trey Neal, that would really help losing two, you're losing two veteran guys. And I didn't even use this the other day. I should use this stuff, Parker. Like Chenander told me that. He doesn't really even have to, he doesn't, he literally doesn't have to tell Markel Dismuke and Dante Williams how to set the defense. They're, they're, they're at this point, every bit as capable of, as Chenander of doing it. I mean, that, that he doesn't have to tell them, he literally tells them nothing because they know, they know the defense that well. Yeah. That I mean, what, has, a, what a luxury to have, right? He, that's what he said. He says it's an incredible luxury yeah. that, that every day those guys are there, they're, they're available. And they, they know, they know all their assignments and everybody's assignment. Um, they're like, they're literally like coaches, which is yes. not that surprising. I mean, they're, they're 23, 24 year old grown men who, who played a lot of football, but yeah, those are big losses. Those are big losses. It's interesting because there've definitely been some misses, some guys that have showed up, you know, transfer types and not done much, but They've also found some real leadership in that going that route too. I mean, like you say, Trey Neal was good for the defense in 2018. Darian Daniels was a captain uh, yeah. after he'd been on campus for seven months. And Samari Ture, I think, is you know, uh, you know, if you yeah. look at their receive, and and not only that, but if you look at their receiving core this year, Ture's a transfer. Bulk and and Oliver Martin were transfers via the walk on route, and now they're on scholarship. Uh, Omar Manning's a transfer. Like they, they, that position group was built largely via the transfer portal. And then they've got the next, uh, they've got the next route, you know, the next wave of young guys kind of coming up through there. So it's a good, uh, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's a good view on I don't think the transfer market is viewed the way it used to be where it's a total roll of the dice and, Ooh, maybe we don't want to do that. I mean, pretty much everybody has to, and I think with the way the scholarship numbers are in a lot of places, Nebraska especially, um, it's going to be a major part of the offseason. And excuse me, and, and, and Scott said that yesterday, that it's going to be on Wednesday, that it's going to be a big part of Nebraska's uh, strategy this year and probably going forward after that too. Yeah, recruiting's changed. I mean, it's 
it, it, it really, the dynamic has changed dramatically. I mean, you don't, I personally don't look at the recruiting rankings now with as much interest as I used to, knowing that the, the transfer portal can change things dramatically. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I, um, I'm glad you mentioned Teray, by the way, because he, he, and Daniels, those are great. And, and Neil, those are three guys are great examples of guys that were great, great. They, they assimilated really quickly and helped the program. And then, then we're gone, but that's the way, you know, some of that's the way college football, that's a big difference in college football from, you know, the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Um, the good old all days. right. The good old days part. The good, the good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's shift gears. I'm curious, you know, we were talking, we met, we're a, lo- a large part of that conversation is about Adrian Martinez. A large part of the conversation about Nebraska going forward this year from three and five and trying to make a run is about Adrian Martinez. And Frost talked a little bit more this week about, Adrian's health and sort of where he's at and, and that it changed the way that they operated against Minnesota a little bit. What, what did you make of that conversation? Sid? Well, what I made of it is I wouldn't have picked Nebraska to beat Minnesota. Had I known that Adrian Martinez was basically, basically unavailable in the run game or, or unavailable to a level to any significant level. He ran two designed run plays in that game for six yards Frost said going in, they knew. I mean, this is the more you, the more I hear uh, subsequent of Scott's comments yesterday, the more it's clear Adrian had an ankle issue um, that I wasn't aware of. I wasn't like Damon, Damon Benning on today on the radio show today on 1620 AM in Omaha just said that, yeah, he only practiced 55 minutes last week. Um, So had I known Adrian was not, was that limited? I wouldn't have picked Nebraska. Um, and, and if I would have thought a little bit more about PJ flex, how I'm sure how he was incredibly determined to beat Nebraska for mostly PJ flex related reasons. (laughs) If I, if I I would have thought, if I would have thought about that, I would have probably not picked Nebraska. So, but anyway, yeah, Adrian clearly was limited in the run game, limited by an ankle injury, probably limited him in the passing game. Yeah, to be honest, I mean he's got to push off. Well, Frost uh, said that he that he thought he was a little jumpy early in the game. Jumpy, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's um, but as Frost said yesterday, he came out of the game clean and should be healthy for Purdue, which is which is really of of incredible importance against. Hey, Parker, Purdue's defense is real. Um, yeah, it is. Okay, so simple. I. This was a probably a dereliction of duty on my part, or maybe the entire media course part. But I'm going to ask you a question that I've gotten several times that I don't know how to answer because I didn't ask Scott yesterday, and maybe it'll okay later on. What's if our they, dereliction of duty? I'm very interested. In if they okay, so if they, I think the follow up that didn't get asked yesterday, admittedly, <laughs> of Scott is. If you knew that Adrian was going to be limited going into the game, did you give any thought to putting Logan Smothers in the game in situations where you knew you wanted the quarterback run involved? I mean, teams Good do question. it, right? Minnesota does it. They yeah. had the Kramer kid that was essentially a running quarterback, and it was 90% that he was going to run when he came in the game, but he also threw a touchdown. So is that something that um, you, you think – would be under consideration or is he just, is Martinez just so far bet the best option that even limited in what he can do, there's no room for the next. Yeah. Pass. I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a, it, there's a couple conversations within that conversation. If you're talking just using smothers down near the goal line, you know, when they were down near the goal line and maybe they wanted to run the quarterback, well, which they did and Adrian didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, would they put Smothers in in that situation like many teams do? Ah, yeah. Now that you mention it, um, we should have asked that. Uh, we should have asked him if he considered putting Logan in on that goal line situation where Adrian appeared very close to getting in but didn't get in. Do you like how the down the goal line shot of it, the, the uh, line judge's head was right in the <laughs> – I know. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, great, you can't see that. Yeah, um, Perfect. 
I, I said to a guy I was with, I said, here's the shot here. You're going to see it right here. And then the head was in there. And then, so then the other conversation is if you're going to just use Logan over the course of the game, not just in spot duty. I mean, here's what I'd say to that. Adrian's value to the team extends beyond his ability to, to run the offense. Right. Um, he's very, I mean, I, what I always – the best way to put it is you've heard defensive players um, for Nebraska say, say Adrian is our leader. Adrian is, a, Adrian is the leader of this team. Well, you're on the road in a tough game. I mean, if he can go, he's your leader. He's your guy. Right. And taking him out of that, um, there's a big void. There's a big leadership void to fill that Logan Smothers just can't do. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying Logan can't. I'm not saying Logan can't become that, but I, I mean, it, Adrian, Adrian went through a lot to become that. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the guys have seen it all, you know, the guys have played. With. So the other thing, I, the other thing I would add to that is I don't, I, I know what Scott said, that they changed some things about the run game and they had maybe elements of it that just weren't in the game plan because of where Adrian was at health wise. But he did – he was sacked twice with two of his eight carries, but he had six others. And not only that, but they still did run some of their options. They didn't run it a ton. But their first big rushing play of the game on their second drive was a beautiful – Adrian got out on the edge, you know, ran the option, pitched it to Ramir Johnson for 25 yards. And so that element, a lot of the plays that they made in the play-action game were – off of the option looks, you saw a lot of the start down the line, drop back, throw it down the field. Yeah. So, like Adrian, so the, I don't. I take Scott at his word that the game plan was a little bit different because of where Adrian was, but he was not a statue. I mean, we saw them run him over the right edge on a critical third down near the goal line. Like you said, we saw them run some of their option stuff, and I don't. Looking back on it, maybe he was a step slow but you didn't watch him run that option and say oh boy he looks bad you know so mm -hmm. it, I, that was sort of I think that's probably part of the reason why Smothers didn't come up yesterday was it's not like you watched that game and went oh man what the heck is wrong with Adrian Martinez nope. and no, his ability really. to run he was a little bit off accuracy wise and has some plays like always that you know any quarterback would want to have back or whatever but I don't think you came out of that saying man, why wasn't Adrian Martinez, what was wrong with him? You know, so it's sort of a interest. It's an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, there's different ways to approach that, that position. It's the, the, the team Nebraska is getting ready to play Purdue played three quarterbacks by design. It was, right. it was, it wasn't, it wasn't because of anything that happened in the game. It was, they went into the game planning to play three. Yeah. Um, O'Connell, Plummer, and then they bring in a runner. You know, they bring in a guy that's clearly in there to run. Um, so, yeah, would, would Nebraska consider doing more of that in the future? I don't know. Um, Adrian's their guy. Right. But, you know, oh, and then the other part of this conversation, it drives people crazy, but it's – Parker, I, I just – it's a default button for me almost, is how can we make these – decisions as media and fan base seen zero practice. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. You just can't, you just don't know what Logan Smothers is doing or for Adrian, Adrian Martinez for that matter, during the course of a week to affect that decision. Right. Yeah. We have the no only thing idea. I, the only thing I know is that we saw productive drive in the heat of battle from Logan Smothers against Michigan state when, uh, when Adrian was in the locker room getting sure. x-rays on his jaw. Uh, in late September. I mean, he took him down the field in Spartan Stadium under the lights until two penalties on the offensive line stalled out the drive. So, you know, I'm, and I'm not like, look, look, I'm not, I don't want listeners to mistake it. Like, I'm not, I'm not um, calling for, I'm not saying that that's what should happen. All I'm saying is that it's interesting that it doesn't even come up, doesn't even really come up, you know, like, well, should you have maybe thought at least considered this or did you consider this? Yeah. Smothers. Um, I, what I've seen of him this year, I've been really impressed from a, from a poise standpoint 
And I mean, not, I mean, from multiple standpoints, the throw he made against Buffalo was excellent. The rollout throw mm-hmm. late in the game when, when Scott, I think got kind of, he got kind of pissy about Buffalo calling the timeout <laughs> and said, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll throw it downfield. Um, and that throw was beautiful. It was a, yeah. it was a long pass to Hickman down the sideline. And, and then I thought watching, I love watching Logan Smothers run the ball. I mean, yeah. he can run, he's a good runner, uh, has a good feel for that part of the game. And I've liked what I've heard about his poise. Um, he's he, and when he comes in the game, he looks ready every time to me. Yeah. He doesn't look like, he doesn't look like he doesn't look wide eyed to me. Just another, uh, just another wrinkle to the transfer portal quarterback situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about, so Nebraska has actually put up pretty, in terms of the big tennis, put up surprisingly good numbers offensively so far this year. I want your opinion on that, but I've also got a surprise for you. <laughs> it comes, which I mean, you just look at your phone. So you know what the surprise is. Yeah. Here comes <laughs> it's really off nice. the bench and into the game here at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Chris Baz instant offense. Look at Baz. instant offense. Look at, look at instant offense. Look at Baz. Yeah. Instantly offensive, more like. <laughs> also that. <laughs> no, you're not instantly offensive. No, I am. It's it's fine. How you feeling? I feel great. Got a little sinus infection, but we're battling through it. Yeah. Um, my son's sick and a dog, but we're battling through that. It's, it's been a week here at the Bass Residence. So the bye week, the bye week came at a good time here as well. Good, good. What? Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. We're just, we're, uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're basically just talking about Nebraska's uh, struggles. Well, so basically what we talk about every week then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Why uh, didn't they play Smothers, et cetera, stuff like that. Well, sure. w- well, we were, the conversation that we were just going to, just going to spin into here, Baz, is I don't, I don't know. You probably know this smart guy that you are. Um, but I, I was, okay. Nebraska, let's put it simply, second in the Big Ten in total offense, 477 yards a game, third in the Big Ten in yards per play, uh, third in the Big Ten in red zone touchdown percentage. And not only that, but they're just, if you take Big Ten games only, they're second in the league in scoring at 30 points per Hmm. game, third in the league in scoring at 30.8 if you take all games. So, and, and still, I think you come out of the game against Minnesota thinking like, the offense missed so many opportunities to score yeah. and they did it again. You know, they got, they got shut down on fourth and and one or whatever at the three yard line against Michigan as well. So I guess we'll start with you simple. And then Baz, I want to hear your opinion on this too. Like how do you square what seems like a, a, an offense that has struggled uh, at times this year with the fact that the numbers put them near the top of the big 10 in a lot of different categories. Well, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I got to, I guess we got to fight through that red zone discussion a little bit. Um, as, as you point out, their total offense numbers are good. They're moving the ball. Nobody, Baz, nobody moves into the red zone with more frequency this year than Oklahoma. I mean, Nebraska's number two in the yeah. country. They've gotten to the red zone 38 times. Only Oklahoma's gotten there more, more in the country. It's now, amazing. Parker, I just think it's a red zone discussion. I, I mean, they – and I think it boils down to, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I watched the games. I mean, in the red zone, everything tightens up. Offensive line play becomes much more important. Conventional plays become more important. You don't lean on your scheme. You don't lean. I mean, you know, inside the 20, 25, you got to hand the ball off and run it. You got you to complete basic slant passes. You, it becomes a very basic offense discussion. And it's so it's more about just can we move guys and can we execute? And Nebraska doesn't move guys particularly well. Yeah. They don't have the big pounding running back that can get you yards when the field's tightened up. I can't now, then it goes to the shifts to the quarterback. And I'm a big, I've been a, a big, big proponent of Adrian, but he doesn't make great decisions all the time. Um, and I think some of a lot of it comes down to those factors, in my opinion. I think you're I think you're right, Sip. I think you nailed it. I think 
we know they can hit big plays. We know they can scheme stuff up. But like yeah. you said, you, you you can't really scheme stuff up when it's third and two on this on the fifteen or whatever. You know, you got to yeah. be able to get two yards. And we know this offense can't just go get two yards a, a lot of the time. You know, and they can they can they can hit you for a, for a big play. There's no doubt about that. And every now and then they can move the pile, but it doesn't happen often enough. They're not good enough up front. They don't execute well enough. It's exactly what you said. It's it's a red zone discussion. And it's a basic offense discussion. And, you know, yeah, the numbers are good, but you can look at every game and say, well, they didn't execute great in this part of the game. Or they didn't, say for Northwestern, of course. But, um, yeah, it's they don't do the basic stuff good enough to be a great red zone team. They don't run it straight ahead good enough. They don't, like you said, execute basic pass plays good enough. They don't make good enough decisions. And, that's why you can move it into the red zone, but you have trouble scoring in the red zone. I think that's what it comes down to. I think you nailed it. Play calling enters into it. I mean, you guys watch a lot of football, and I, I watch enough to know you can call good plays down close to the goal line, and that makes yeah. a difference. But the but the playbook does shrink down there. There's yeah. no doubt. Parker's holding up his notebook. What do you got there, Parker? Earlier today, as I was working on my Sunday story, I charted every time Nebraska, in, in their five losses, every time Nebraska's been into scoring range. So I took Connor Culp's longest field goal of the year is 51 yards. So I just figured anytime they've been inside the opponent's 35, that's scoring range. And Nebraska is, has scored 16 of 24 times in that range. Now that's similar to what their red zone, their red zone rate is for the year in terms of, um, you know, in terms of scoring percentage. The thing about it is, they're actually scoring touchdowns. Like it's been really hard to score touchdowns in the red zone for Big Ten teams this year because they're all the most of the defenses in the league are, are, are veteran, you know, salty units. So Ohio State and Minnesota are in the top ten nationally in red zone touchdown percentage, and then Nebraska's third in the Big Ten, but they're sixty first nationally. So part of it is, you know, that they've scored touchdowns better than most teams in the big 10 outside of Minnesota and Ohio state, but they've been, they've been um, susceptible to the zero to the red zone zero of coming out with nothing. You know, they've scored in 24 trips, five losses, 24 trips to the opponents, 35 or deeper. They've scored 11 touchdowns, but they've come away with nothing eight times. Yeah. That's trouble. Eight zeros in scoring range in five one score losses, you know, one, almost one and a half per game, more than one and a half per game. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's just too much wasted yardage. So that's, that's that offense. So it's it, right? right. It's like, it's all or nothing. And then that's, that's across the whole field. It's not just, that's a great stat Parker, but yeah, I mean, that, that summarizes that offense. It's either going to be a big play and a score, or it's going to be a, a quick three and out and a punt or, or a negative play and a punt. But yeah, that's, that illustrates it beautifully. And the kicking game, I mean, the kicking game obviously has an impact, right? Because yeah. they've missed five field goals, which, you know, 15 points over the course of those games. And then uh, 18, if you include the extra points that they've, 19, if you include the extra points they've missed, points on the board in close games um, that you don't get. And then also it, uh, it influences your decision on whether to go for it down low, if you have trust in your kicker or not. You know, there's some games where, like Minnesota, uh, Michigan was a good example. That first drive, do you take three points uh, or do you go for it on fourth and two? They went for it and they got stuffed. Um, You know, they went the other way and tried to kick a field goal down five against Minnesota and missed it. You know, if you take field, a field goal, if you make that and you make one on your next trip down there, you're winning rather than being down five because you missed a field goal the first time felt like you had to go for it the next time because you don't have any faith in your kicker. You don't get it. Now you've got two zeros instead of maybe two threes or a touchdown somewhere along the way. Okay. Here's, I'm going to throw a wrench into the conversation a little, I'm just going to change it up a little bit. Let's put it that Great. way. Is this, is it, and I'm going to ask it in a soft way and you can answer it however you want. Is this, is the offensive staff going to look the same next year? No, I say no. Yeah. Wow. Why do you say that, Baz? Why do you say that? Well, I just it's it's not working, right? And it's for all the reasons we just talked about. It's it's they can pile up yards, but they don't they don't score enough when they have chances to do it. And it's been like that since game one. 
basically. You know, they've, they've continued to try to do the same things for the most part and gotten the same results, which is the definition of insanity the last time I checked. So, you know, I, I think, and what, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of like going on a road trip and expecting simple, not just spill cookie crumbs all over the car. I just, <laughs> I keep thinking it's not going to happen, but then it happens. But yeah. no, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if, what that means or who, who might not be back, but I just don't think you can do the same things again. Like something's, something's gotta, gotta change. I don't know what it is, but I feel like something has to change if they're going to, if they're going to flip that narrative. If, if, so, if, if I were Scott Frost and someone told me that, like something's got to change. I, I mean, to me, the biggest argument for that it's on the, it's on the, it's in the standings, right? It's, it's, it's three and five and one and four because Scott could turn around and say, well, what, well, what part of it is, is it that needs to be fixed? Because we're second in the Big Ten in yards per attempt throwing the ball, and we're second in the Big Ten in rushing, and we're second in the Big Ten in total offense, and we're second in the Big Ten in Big Ten play in scoring. So what is it that's so bad about the offense? Like, it's a oh. year of defense in college football. Um, you know, scoring's down all over the place. We're at, the, we're at or near the top of the Big Ten – in pretty much every offensive category. So you tell me what what is it that's so wrong with what we're doing? And I well, think Scott, I'd like to I'd like to point you to, to Parker Gabriel's article on the Sunday Journal Star uh, and your trips inside the thirty five yard line and, and your trips into the red zone. And we'll, we'll start with that and tell me what you yeah. think of that. I know. Well, yeah, I, I I think I mean I I totally am of the mind that when you watch them, you say, man, there should be a lot more here offensively. And then the numbers at the end of the day are sort of like look pretty good. So I I know it's well, weird. To answer the question, Sipple called it confounding at the beginning of the podcast. I think that's exactly right. To answer the question, I'd be surprised if it if the if the staff lineup looks exactly the same next year. I don't know if it'll okay. I, I, I don't know if it'd be a full overhaul, but I just I think there's change coming. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I don't know. We don't probably need. To okay, here's a there's a conceptual question then. That do you make staff changes based? I mean, we, we I think we what we've done is established that they have red zone issues, which is pretty obvious. Do you, they don't have? They do move the ball. So do you make changes on the offensive staff because you're have problems in the red zone? Yeah, you need to score more. I mean, okay. you know, I'm and asking, it's, and it's an institutional thing. It's not like this is a one year thing either. That's 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 kind of my point of view. This isn't like this isn't the first time this happened. I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, like this. Oh, you're fine. It's it's institutional. Like this happens every year. Go look at the last couple of years when we thought, wow, oh, they're lousy running the ball. And then you look at the running stats, the rushing stats, and go, oh, not that bad. But you know, it, it's what your eyes show you, right? You know, we see it every every week when we watch the games. We saw it in Minnesota, saw it at Michigan, saw it saw it with Michigan State. We we see it. We, they're not doing enough. The numbers might say something different, but we, with our own eyes, our own eyes are telling us they're not doing enough offensively to get the job done. Yeah. And the score yeah. and the, the record, the, the record's one. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. I think it's going to be based on the scoreboard. I mean, there's certainly, you can find bad stats offensively. You'll find this in the Sunday journal start too, but they're giving up more sa- I mean, they've given up the most sacks in the big 10 and it's a raw number and per game you know, 2.63 sacks per game they're giving up with one of the most. It's pretty amazing. Considering who their quarterbacks is. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. I mean, that's I think- interesting. Now there's more data points. So if I were Scott, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any decisions yet. I mean, there's four games left. Yeah, absolutely. So you, I think you have to leave open the possibility to get on a heater. Um, yeah, but they're I playing do. four pretty darn good defenses the rest of the way too, so. Right. Well, which again, though, then then if they would get on a heater against four good defenses, it just reaffirms the notion yeah. that maybe you don't make any changes. Um, if we if we can move it and score and win against those defenses, why am I making changes? So I I'd hold off um, before I made any determinations. All right. Simple. I, yeah. Head coach. That was a good Board of Regents meeting, fellas. Good Board of Regents meeting. <laughs> I think, they don't make those decisions. Ultimately, I ultimately, I think there's the, the, the there's a lot of factors that go into it. We don't have time to cover all of them. But the, the other thing that I think you do take into consideration is in each group's you know room or whatever, 
like, what does the trajectory look like? Like, are you, can you say definitively that you're on the right path? And yeah. that, yeah, that's in the eye of the beholder a little bit. I mean, you know, take the offensive line. Like you could say, well, freshman, sophomore, walk on sophomore, um, junior, and then redshirt freshman left to right. And then maybe the best guy they had besides Cam Jurgens was a true freshman who tore his ACL in his second start. Super young. So the question is, what's your production right now? I don't think anyone would push back on the notion that the offensive line hasn't been good enough through eight games. But what's the trajectory? You got a, a, not all young players. They're not all inexperienced. But what's the trajectory going forward? That always comes into the conversation. doesn't matter yeah. if you're talking about offensive line or linebackers or whatever. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure that there are, I'm not sure there's a clear cut, extremely easy answer anywhere on the board. on offense. Okay. Yeah. We can dodge out of that. Cause that is a two hour. That's literally a two hour podcast in itself. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of time, free time on Saturday, simple without a game this weekend. Who are you interested in watching? Purdue and Wisconsin. I, I, I think if you're a Nebraska fan, I know I tend to overstate matters, but that that seems like can't miss TV to me. Yeah, I mean you're you have Purdue next, you have Wisconsin in November twentieth, death trip for us. Um, the no, I, I mean that it's a Speak huge game. It's a, yeah, <laughs> well it's November. Tw- I mean it, we're probably going to cover an eleven. Oh yeah, it's going to be like eight 20, inches of snow for sure. Twenty degrees. I <laughs> Yeah. We'll have to get. We'll have to. I'll, we'll have to work to get up for that. Um, you won't believe anyway. how mad I'm going to be the morning of that game. Walk out of the hotel at like seven thirty a.m. Miserable. I don't even want to think about it. Purdue. Awesome. Purdue, Wisconsin's gigantic. It's yeah. it's big for both those programs, and it's big for Nebraska to size those teams up. It's going to be the biggest game all year that ends nine to seven. <laughs> it could be that. It could be. That. It could be that. It could be like a 14 to 10 or. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I haven't. Honestly, I'll be I'll be real with you, Parker. I haven't looked at the college football schedule this Saturday a whole lot. I've been preoccupied with some other stuff. Yeah. But that, I, I would lean towards what Sipple said. You've got those two teams, two teams you think you can probably beat. Pretty, yeah. pretty good look at both of them. The, the rest of the Big Ten slate's pretty. Yeah. October 30th. I mean, that's the, you know, Nebraska has Purdue and then. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Iowa, and Wisconsin trails like a distant third in terms of interesting games in the league. So that a week from Saturday is the big one. Uh, the first mm-hmm. of the Big Ten. But um, yeah, I'm curious about that game too. I don't, you guys, have you guys already turned in your picks? I want to influence yeah. I have. Yep. Um, I have. I just, that game, that was Purdue Wisconsin game. It just feels like the most likely player to break loose and score like the one touchdown of the game is David Bell. Like that's just sort of, when I got to thinking about it, I was like one broken play for somebody to get on the board with two really good defenses. Like what, who is that going to be? And it just seems like the answer is probably David Bell. He scores the one touchdown. It's like 10 to seven or something like that. Purdue scary. Purdue should be scary for Nebraska because of, I, I go on this tangent all the time, but Purdue should be scary for Nebraska if only because they have a first-round receiver in David Bell. And on defense, they might have a first-round pick at defensive end. Oh, yeah. Carl Aftis, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that team has two first-rounders, all right? And and I made this point yesterday, Baz, and I made it to some people today, and they they wholeheartedly answered yes. If you would have dropped – Amir Abdullah and Randy Gregory, two second rounders, not first rounders, into the Minnesota game for Nebraska. Who wins the game? Oh, Nebraska wins that game. Yeah, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Those guys matter. Yep. Those second rounder, high, just high round NFL guys. That That's not the only part of the discussion, but it matters a lot. Yes, absolutely. And, and that illustrates it. Yeah, Jimmy's in the Joes. It's you know, we we talk about it all the time. It's not about the X's and the O's. It's the Jimmy's and the Joes. Mm-hmm. And so that's a scary He's game. A huge year. Is did he, you see? Did you guys see some of the clips? Like Iowa tried to block him one on one 
Like it was just like a mauling. Like he just he just absolutely abused Iowa's left tackle a couple times. Ripped, you know, the rip move and went right by him. And it's not like Spencer Petrus is standing back there ducking pass rushers real easily. So he, yeah, it was a season for that guy. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's scary. And it's scary. What do we just talk about? Nebraska leads the Big Ten and sacks allowed. And you've got a dinged up quarterback. Like he'll probably be feeling a little better in a couple weeks, but it's going to be a hundred percent. Knowing he's got to run away from that guy, knowing what's in front of him on the offensive line. I don't know. You're right. It's scary. Yeah. And David Bell t- takes over games. Yes. He took over the Iowa game. He had 11 he catches for, he had 11 catches for 240. Um, yeah. He's, he's capable of taking over. Nebraska handled him and uh, Rondell, him and Rondell Moore both really well last year until the um, midair collision. Remember that late in that game? where I dismuke and maybe Taylor Britt went up for the ball and collided and bell came down with it and went like 90 or something. Um, aside from that one play, they handled those guys pretty well. I think Rondell had like 13 catches for 70 yards. Um, but and David Bell, you know, that's, we run that photo of Cam Taylor Britt all the time, making that play on, on bell, you know, the leaping uh, PBU down the field in crunch time. So uh, that's a good matchup. That's that's a fun one, David Bell and, and Cam Taylor Britt. But yeah, I mean, there's not. That's even you expect David Bell to make plays still um, in that yeah. setup, and then Carl Loftus and and Nebraska's offensive line is that will be a thing. Th- the thing with that is that's not the first time Nebraska's going to see somebody like that. They've already seen Aiden Hutchinson, right. and Aiden Hutchinson obviously had a fine fine night uh, <laughs> against Nebraska, but. They're not going to go into that game. Nebraska's offensive line is just having no idea what to expect. They'll at least have an idea of what he's about going into this. So, I mean, it'll be interesting from that standpoint to see if they're better prepared for it, but they're not going in blind, at least from that perspective. I was telling Sipple uh, yesterday that I think that, that Nebraska's on a stretch here of four straight games where they might be going against a first-rounder off the edge. Uh, and and it, that goes to the conversation about, you know, why can't Nebraska find a guy like that? Um, but, yeah, Aiden Hutchinson uh, from Michigan, Boy Maffei from Minnesota was really good um, and, and was disruptive last week. Um, Carl Loftus from Purdue and then Zach Harrison from Ohio State. I mean, there's four guys. Like, you know, if you're putting together first-team All-Big Ten on the edge, you know, four guys right there are, yeah. if not the top four, then four of the top guys and, and all – uh, are going to make a lot of money playing football in their lives. Yep. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. That's an hour. We ra- oh, an hour? Jeez, wow. Man, went long. And we welcome Baz in for the last uh, little bit of it. Um, yeah, Baz, thank you for joining us. Thank you for thank joining us. Thank you for us. having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got more bye week yeah, coverage uh, inbound as the week goes on. And obviously, we'll be back at, at full speed next week with Nebraska getting ready for Purdue. So for Baz and Sipple, I'm Parker. Thanks for watching and listening. Please consider subscribing to our newspaper at the Lincoln Journal Star. And we'll talk to you next week.